Welcome to another podcast episode of DIY Guitar Making. I also produce video episodes of DIY Guitar Making live in the workshop. To find both the podcasts and the videos all in one place, go to DIYGuitarMaking.com. You can even subscribe to the email list there to receive new episodes, both the videos and the podcasts, directly in your inbox as they come out. Again, that's DIYGuitarMaking.com. And welcome back to DIY Guitar Making. Here we are. We're live in the shop. Uh, not really live. I always say that for some reason. This is a recording. And uh, I got the wood stove going, so you can actually hear it kind of bubbling in the background because I always put a little kettle of water on there. Because I came in here this morning and it was like 58 degrees or something in that ballpark here in the shop. So I'm still wearing a bit of a jacket right now until the wood stove takes the nip out of the air. But anyway, while I'm waiting for it to warm up, let's do some Q&A. First of all, just catch up on things. I just finished a workshop with two guys, one from Tennessee and one from Texas. They actually both drove up. Neither of them flew, uh, which is pretty cool. I myself am a big fan of long drives. And so I, I would, if I was taking my own class from a distant place, I would probably do the same thing. Their names were Steven and Jerry, and we had a great time. They built two awesome guitars. While I'm talking about this, I'll have some pictures of them up on the screen so you can see a little bit of an inside scoop of what my classes look like. And by the way, if you are interested in signing up for one of these classes, I have the spring schedule out there. Uh, people are starting to sign up now. This is typically the time that people look ahead and sign up for those spring classes. At least that's what I've noticed in the past. So they're starting to fill up. The schedule is on my website, ericshaferguitars.com. Check it out. I'll probably get the fall schedule up soon, too, just because I know some people look that far ahead, look really far ahead. So I'll put that out there, too, um, not by the time this video comes out. But if you are interested in the fall, you can always email me about that. And, uh, hey, maybe that um, your interest in a specific set of dates might influence how I make the schedule. So that'd be a, a good reason to get a jump on that. But anyway... We had a great time. Uh, it was a really easy class, actually. These guys were just very proficient in and of themselves before they even got here, so uh, I didn't have to uh, come down hard on them too much, <laughs> as I do sometimes in these classes. Uh, what else? Um, oh, Radio Rosette Maker. This is the new design. I wanted to show you guys this. Uh, it's, well, the design is the same, but I'm now having the rosette makers engraved instead of having a big decal on there. It just is a little nicer, I find. It functions the same, you know, the old ones with the decals, but I think engraving into the high-quality plywood is a little bit nicer. Anyway, uh, uh, this reminds me, Christmas is coming up, so... Get yourself, well, I guess you don't buy yourself things. Some people buy themselves things for Christmas. Uh, tell your loved ones about the Radio Rosette Maker. Or buy your loved ones a Radio Rosette Maker. How about that? You could buy a Radio Rosette Maker for your wife or your kids. 
And then when they open it and they give you that kind of, ah, thanks, dad, kind of expression there, you know that they're probably not going to use it and it's basically yours at that point. So there you go. That's a way of buying yourself a radio rosette maker for Christmas. Pretty cool. Um, in all seriousness, the radio rosette maker jig, what's designed to do is to cut out, to, to make design, to design, make, and then cut out radial pattern rosettes and offset rosettes. I've talked about it a lot in the past. Um, I've got several videos where I'm using it throughout, you know, the course of my builds. So check it out. EricSchaferGuitars.com. It slices, it dices, and it makes rosettes. All right, let's uh, let's do Q and A. See what we got. Okay, so we'll jump right into the Discord first. That's the private members Discord for students of my online and hands-on courses. They all get access to this forum. And hey, I like to answer their questions first because uh, they're good people and I like them. Okay. So, Larry Kuhn writes, Hi all, I have built six guitars and three of them suffer from the same problem. Cracks in the top running from the bridge to the heel. These cracks appeared soon after they were first strung up. I'd like to get to the bottom of this before my next build. All my guitars have Sitka tops radius to 30 feet. The bridges are nothing fancy, no unusual shapes, and also were radius to 30 feet before gluing them on. I'm using light gauge strings. I don't see any differences that would explain why three tops would crack and three wouldn't. My first guess is that I was too aggressive in thinning the tops. Measuring inside the sound hole, all six tops measure between 92 thousandths of an inch and 100 thousandths of an inch, including the finish. By comparison, my Taylor 714 comes in at 116 thousandths of an inch. But I'd expect its top to be thicker since they have to over-engineer manufactured guitars for robustness and warranty purposes. Yes, that is true. Should I just be less aggressive sanding the tops on my next builds, or is there another common or uncommon mistake that can lead to this issue? And then he's got a picture here pointing to the problem. I'll throw the picture up on the screen. And uh, yeah, let's take a look at this. So my gut is that this is a humidity issue, or rather a lack of humidity issue, a drying out issue. And actually you can figure this out pretty easily if it's something, uh, a problem with how you've essentially engineered the guitar, a structural problem with the bracing, or like you said, with overthinking the top, or if it's a humidity thing. And actually, if I look at this closely, it looks really looks to me like it's a dry dryness problem, a lack of humidity problem, because at least the one crack on the bottom, and at least in the picture, sometimes it's hard to tell in pictures, looks open. The crack actually looks like it's, it's split open a little bit, which is a sign of a lack of humidity crack, right? If it were to crack for a different reason, like too much stress on the bridge, for example, which is kind of what you were hinting at there, you know, too much tension, uh, not enough support, something like that, then the crack would, would not be split open, right? If it's a shrinkage problem, then what's happening is the wood is shrinking and at some point it just can't take it anymore and it splits. And so at that split point, 
right along the grain, it'll actually open up a little bit, right? So you should be able to slide a, a extremely thin feeler gauge in there. Whereas a crack from either poor engineering of the instrument or dropping the instrument, those types of cracks tend to be closed rather than open. So uh, not to mention that's just the more common, the lack of humidity thing is the more common issue when I see cracks like that coming off the back of the bridge. It's, it's usually not a structural problem, which is good news for your future guitars. Get a handle on the humidity in your shop. If you want to uh, write me an answer here and let me know what your humidity situation is, I think that would be very helpful for me. Um, the time of year right now that you're asking this, by the way, is also pretty indicative because right now it is, we are right in the, the midst of it. This is um, early December. So everybody's turning the heat on in their homes in certain parts of the country. Uh, in other in parts of the country like here, we've had the heat on in our homes since, uh, I guess you could say, early October, perhaps. But anyway, when people start turning the heat on, that's when things really dry out. Winter is naturally dry in and of itself, but what really makes winter a dry time for guitars is the fact that guitars live in people's homes and people like to heat their homes so they can be warm and hence the drying out so yeah check that out let me know what your humidity situation is that's almost certainly the problem uh, i will say though you mentioned the thinness of the tops 92 thousandths of an inch is oh, people do that it happens that to me is too thin i don't uh get even close to 92 thousandths of an inch. Uh, I'm more like that tailor that you mentioned. Uh, a lot of my tops, they definitely, they vary, but um, 110 thousandths of an inch is not a, not a bad target for uh, your final thickness with the finish on and everything. But yeah, 92 is pretty thin. I still don't think that that's, that's why it cracked though. Okay, Eastern White Cedar for soundboards. Richie writes, has anyone used or seen white cedar used as soundboards? I have a source of white cedar here in New Jersey. I know Western Red Cedar is used quite frequently. Cannot find any information about white cedar. It appears to have the same characteristics as red cedar. I am working towards completing my first guitar, a parlor guitar. I am planning a second guitar with cherry back and sides and possibly a white cedar top. So I don't personally have anything to say about Eastern white cedar, although I will say that it's abundant here on the East Coast. And the fact that I don't hear about it much at all for guitars might indicate something, but it might not. It might be an excellent wood. It just people just just don't use it for uh, for no particular reason. But it is abundant, so I don't see why people wouldn't use it if it was good. Um, so yeah, I don't know what the issue exactly would be, but maybe somebody can tell us here in the comments. That would be great. That's what this is all about. So I'm kicking this one out to you guys. Uh, why don't I get though the I always like to do this. Let's get the scientific name for 
eastern white cedar. So, I mean, it's going to be uh, thuja, almost certainly, just like western red cedar. But maybe not. And that's where things can get complicated for us, is when we think something is uh, a true cedar or a true mahogany or a, a true rosewood, and then you find out that it's not. Okay, thuja occidentalis. Thuja occidentalis. I never know how you pronounce thuja, um, so please correct me if I'm wrong, but I always say thuja. Thuja occidentalis, so it is in the same family as western red cedar, so it should be at least very, very similar. I would be interested to hear uh, what the difference is and why perhaps people don't use this wood. Hey, maybe I'd, I would start using it. I'm on the East Coast. So yeah, I'm kicking that out to you guys. Eastern white cedar, Thuja occidentalis. Let's jump back into the forum, see what else we got. Okay, David Schiff is asking about material for a narrow border. David Schiff, in my next build, I'd like to put a narrow white border on the face of the fretboard and on the headplate. What material is used for this and where would I get it? Thanks. Okay, so I assume you're not simply talking about binding because you're saying a narrow white border. You're probably just talking about a simple dyed fiber strip piece of purfling. So look, look for dyed fiber strip. You can get it from, Stu Max sells it. Uh, you want to get either a white dyed fiber strip if you want sort of a very crisp, brilliant white color, which I recommend. I really like the look of that. Or sometimes if you want a slightly more cream color, earth tone color, you can get maple strips. The reason you want a dyed fiber strip rather than a real wood strip, with the exception of maple, is that real wood on such a thin piece is going to have too much character in order for it to look good. If there's any sort of banding or uh, uh, the grain turns or anything like that on such a skinny cut of wood, it's going to look like there was some sort of fill there or a break in the, in the purfling strip. So dyed fiber strips is what you want. And you can get some cool colors. I've done it with like a bright blue, which is fun. I've seen like a nuclear waste green, <laughs> which is Kind of crazy. Uh, you can get any color you want. It's part of the fun of it. So yeah, look up uh, either purfling strips or dyed fiber strips and you'll find what I'm talking about. Gurian Instruments is really good for this, by the way. In fact, I think they supply Stu Mac with their dyed fiber strips. So you might as well go straight to the source. Okay, Brian Bullard writes, just finished my OM mold. I had built one previously, but it was sloppy, and I just wasn't happy with the shape. I redid it, being more careful, and now am ready for bending. I have some practice sides for bending, and I'm looking forward to using my side bender that I built. Very cool, Brian. And I've got some pictures here. Yeah, it looks great. This is the exact same side bender that, that I built, or at least that clearly we used the same plans. Oh, but he has like a built-in heating element. Is that what I'm seeing? That's pretty cool. Very good. Great progress. Looks like you're moving along. All right. And LC Guitars has an announcement. If you're in the western Pennsylvania area this weekend, stop in the Pittsburgh Guitar Show in 
Bell Vernon. I'll be there with my electric guitars. Very cool. I think I always get these out, you know, a little bit later than what I'm reading here on the screen. So this probably already happened, but I'll throw the pictures up here. He's got some pictures of what he's got prepared for it. So you guys can check that out. Well, let's see. Sunday, December 10th. Yeah, that happened. <laughs> Still cool, though. Called the Everything Rock and Roll Guitar Show. I never heard of that one. That's cool. All right. Oh, I never made a question of the week. So I like to do questions of the week where I ask you guys a question and I get some really cool feedback that not only informs my building, but just makes for great dialogue here when we do the Q&As. And I didn't do one, but that's actually good because my most recent Q question of the week was, what should I do next? And you guys have been giving me endless opinions on what type of build I should do next. And I've got a lot of time to figure this out. Honestly, I'm not in any rush to get started with anything. This is actually sort of a, a calm time for me going into the holidays. I'm working a little bit less, so I have time to think. And uh, I actually like letting that question hang in the air and giving you guys more time to send me things to ponder and think about and talk about here on the show. So actually, when we jump over to YouTube, I'm pretty sure uh, there's going to be more of those. So the question of the week right now is the same as it was the last week and probably the week before that. What should I build next? What do you guys think? I'm not going to build an electric guitar, by the way. So don't, don't say it. <laughs> okay, why don't we jump over to YouTube and... I'm sure we'll see a bunch of those comments in there on what I should do next, but also your questions as well. Okay, the first thing we got here, you know what, you know what, writes, a 360 degree acoustic would be great. 360, I don't know what that means. A 360 degree acoustic, um, I don't know what that means, truly. Uh, maybe you're asking, make an acoustic guitar and follow the progress 360 degrees all the way around, which is kind of what I do. Also, my online, actually, my online course does track the progress of an acoustic guitar literally from the beginning to the end with incredible detail at every step so that you can replicate it yourself. What I do on the channel is a little bit more vloggy and fun and it skips around and it doesn't it's not perfectly replicable by you guys that's not the point of the channel um i, w I wouldn't be able to do what i do if i was always going into that much detail so anyway i'm gonna say if you're if that's what you're saying buy my online course and you will see a 360 degree acoustic guitar build if that's what you're talking about maybe there's some new type of guitar called a 360 degree acoustic and I've never heard of it. It's possible. Danilo Correa writes, uh, he's commenting on a video I did on nut slotting. And he's asking, hello, are seven thousandths of an inch for all frets or does each fret have a different measurement? If the fret height X would be X plus seven thousandths of an inch, is um, how, what is he saying there? Is the fret height would be X plus, 
Oh, he's asking, okay, is the, is the calculation that the fret height, that it's the fret height plus seven thousandths of an inch on each fret? No. So I was uh, demonstrating how to set up your feeler gauge set for cutting your nut slots. And what you do is you uh, determine the height of your frets with your feeler gauge set and then add a seven thousandths of an inch feeler gauge. And that is simply the lift that you need. Uh, and there's some variability there. Some people do six thousandths, some people do eight thousandths, um, but not much. Generally, people stay between those three numbers. And the idea is that we need a certain amount of lift at the nut so that our string splay runs across the fret tops. And if we have our relief in the neck done appropriately, then as these strings run out across the entire neck and cross over all the frets, there's going to be enough of a drop there that no matter enough of a relief in the fret tops that no matter where you play on the fretboard, the uh, elliptical pattern that the string makes when you pluck it isn't going to smack into the top of the frets behind it. Okay. So if, yeah, if you did plus seven thousandths of an inch, uh, I'm not even sure how you would, would do what you're talking about, but if you did, if you added seven thousandths of an inch off each fret, your action would be way, way, way high. The idea is we just need to lift the nut up just a hair. Okay. That's all it is. You're, you're doing seven thousandths of an inch one time. And, uh, on that same video, oink, oink, love these names, oink, oink writes, not easy. I just wasted two blanks and then miscut the third blank twice, sanding down the miscuts each time. Third time now, and if this one goes wrong, there won't be enough nut height and I'll have to start from scratch. Yeah, um, it is It is a little tricky cutting your nut slots and it does require uh, a steady hand and decent eyesight to, to a certain degree. I mean, at least... Uh, when I say decent eyesight, I mean some people might have to use magnifiers to magnify their vision so that they know they're cutting on point. Uh, I'm not sure, oink oink, if you are talking about uh, mismarking the string spacing before you cut the slots or if you're uh, undercutting your slots and then your strings buzz and you have to restart there. Either way, it, it yeah, it's frustrating. Um, DALG Guitars writes, I like the Pragmatic Luthier suggestion, domestic woods and a white guitar. Great suggestion. Uh, I like the domestic woods part of it, and that honestly, that, you know, I might, that might be the way I go, might not, but what, I, I don't think I'd go with a white guitar, because I, I think he had recommended maple for the back and sides, and just simply because I really don't like the look of a white guitar. It's just not for me. I mean, it, obviously, you know, some white guitars can look really cool, but it just doesn't appeal to me. I like a, a dark back and sides, usually. Scott Merkel writes, how about a baritone guitar? Yeah, that'd be cool. Uh, Jacob Thelemer writes, make a Macaferry style guitar. I heard there's a shortage of them, so you might have a bit of a market there. 
go for the small hole variant. Uh, yeah, that's really out in left field. I've never, I don't know, I've never re investigated or really thought much about the McAfee, you know, gypsy style guitars. That's a gypsy guitar, right? Am I mixing up terms? See, I really don't know much about, about that. Um, so with that in mind, I don't think I'd go that direction simply because my interest just isn't there, at least not right now. David Harris writes, hey, Eric, on my way to 15 guitars before I die. Number three is well into construction. It's amazing how much you can learn between one and two and two and three. What I'm learning between three and four is more valuable than the last. Virtues such as patience, perseverance with detail, and focusing your concentration are becoming important. Quality has increased 100%. Peace. All right. That's great. Yeah, I agree with all of that. Um, yeah, it does seem like your learning curve has almost like an exponential effect. That first one, you don't quite learn as much because there's too many mistakes to be able to make sense of what's going wrong. And then as you get to, you know, between doing like two and three and three and four, I think you start to make sense of what you were doing wrong on that first one. And uh, yeah, totally agree. Patience, perseverance, because you're going to make those mistakes. Let them happen and then just get on with it and, and build more guitars. Build a Dreadnought. JT Guitars writes, build a Dreadnought with a Venetian cutaway. I just don't like Venetian cutaways. I might build a Dreadnought, though, but it would be with a Florentine cutaway. Okay, I think that's good for now. I'm going to get started doing some work here in the shop. Um, by the way, if you guys want to get your questions answered here on the show, I'm going to tell you how you can either get on the private members discord. Those questions always obviously get a little bit of precedence here on the show. They tend to go first. And uh, the way that you can get on there is simply by buying one of my online courses or by attending my hands-on workshop, and then you're a member of the Discord channel. Uh, but also, in lieu of that, you can simply write your comment into YouTube. I might get to it. I might read it on the show. Um, it might give us all a good chuckle. If it's funny, that's fun, too. Uh, otherwise, uh, I might not like your question or comment. I might not read it on the show, and that's okay, too. Anyway... That's how you get on the show. I will see you guys in the next one. Thanks for watching. You guys are the best. Bye for now. If you learned something here, please give this video a like and subscribe so you can be notified when I release a new DIY guitar making video. And if you want to really learn more, take one of my structured online courses at ericshaferguitars.com or register for a hands-on guitar building workshop here with me in Burnville, Pennsylvania.